Welcome to Hancock Talks, your source for insights about life insurance trends and opportunities with a focus on tactics that can help drive your sales. This podcast is for financial professional use only. It is not intended for use with the public. This material is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide advice. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. Please listen to the important disclosures at the end of this podcast. This episode was recorded July 19th, 2023. Now, let's get started with our host today, AVP and Counsel Head of Advanced Markets, Carly Brooks. Hello, and welcome to Hancock Talks. I'm excited to be here today as we are joined by Tim Pfeiffer. Tim has been active in the financial services industry for over 40 years and has consulted life insurance companies, law firms, banks, marketing organizations, regulators, mutual fund companies, and settlement companies. Since September 2008, Tim has been president of Pfeiffer Advisory LLC, offering expertise in retirement product and life insurance design, as well as market strategy, product pricing, cutting edge innovation, and expert witness consulting. Also joining us today is my colleague, JJ Bowman, head of product intelligence and market solutions for John Hancock. Thanks, Tim and JJ, for taking the time to be here today to talk about the ABCs of AG49. Thank you, Carly. It's great to be here. You too, JJ. Thank you, Carly. Tim, great to see you again. So let's dig right in. Tim, let's start with you. Can you give us a bit of background on indexed UL illustrations, why they're needed, and how they've evolved over time? Sure, be happy to. First of all, let me just say that I am a fan of IUL products. I've been fortunate enough to be involved in developing for many years now a lot of the products that have been on the street and have been a student of what's been happening in the market. And I think they provide great value to consumers. I do think they are complex products. And as a result, people need to understand what they're buying and need to appreciate the complexity of the products. And one way to do that is through the illustrations that are provided. Illustrations are a depiction of some possible scenarios that might occur in the future. They are aimed to help consumers understand how products may work, but they are also complicated enough that there needs to be guidelines around how illustrations are fashioned with respect to IUL products. And there's been quite a bit of industry activity in that area and an evolution in the way that these illustrations have been depicted. The IUL illustrations have admittedly been a source of controversy over the last few years. And a lot of that relates to how companies are projecting index returns in the future, since the returns are not declared by the company, but rather a function of how an index performs. The regulators, in understanding that the existing illustration rules do not and did not necessarily apply very well to IUL products, have pursued an approach to addressing IUL illustrations that involves modifying actuarial guidelines. The benefit to the regulators of taking this approach is that they can more quickly bring in new rules and new requirements into the industry without necessarily having to pursue a new model regulation or or change regulation in each of the individual states. That's the benefit of an actuarial guideline approach. It also has some drawbacks in that it is not a regulatory statute per se, and there is 
some leeway in terms of actuarial judgment and interpretation as to how the how the rules should apply. Over time, as the industry has responded to changes in, in actuarial guidelines that relate to IUL illustrations, the changes have been coming through in what's known as Actuarial Guideline 49, which is an interpretation of, of how the illustration rules should apply to these products. And as the regulators have modified so-called AG49, companies have been adapting to these changes by modifying product designs. In some cases, these would involve things like buy-up accounts, uh, multipliers on the products, and most recently, the use of unique volatility-controlled indexes with bonuses attached to them. As the industry has responded to these changes in AG49, some in the industry and some of the regulators have felt that these changes were just avenues to skirt the, the spirit of AG49 while maybe abiding by the letter of it. So there have been this trend of continuing modifications to AG49. The most recent changes, I think, have, have done a fairly good job of limiting you know, so-called creativity that might be viewed by some as you know, avoidance of what the real principles of AG49 are. So I think the industry continues to digest what the rules are, are saying under the new AG49, but some are still unhappy with current aspects of IUL illustrations. So that's a little bit about kind of the history and the background. I do think illustrations are quite important, but I think as history has shown, uh, there's probably still more to happen in terms of IUL illustrations. Thanks, Tim. It's really helpful background and I think very interesting to hear the history of how this has developed. And to your point, some of the leeway that we've seen in that actuarial guideline approach, I think it has created some confusion and some concern in the industry as well. And so where we've seen AG49A and the modification to the so-called AG49B, it's raised a lot of industry buzz and some questions. So Tim, could you give us some insight as to the most recent changes to AG49A what those changes meant for the IUL world and how the industry has been responding to them. Yes. So AG49, and, and some do call it AG49B, AG49B really sort of targeted the use of indexes that were designed to be low volatility or volatility controlled indexes that tend to have lower option budgets. In other words, companies spend less to, to hedge that risk. And then using that lower option budget to translate into a product design that may have bonuses on it, that backcasts very well, and that can allow for very attractive illustrations. Under AG49B, when one reads the new guideline, you find that it is uh, very technical and very complex. You really have to track the formulas through very carefully to understand what it's saying. But the bottom line is it basically puts much more emphasis on the S&P 500, which is denoted as kind of a benchmark index account in AG49B. And so to the extent that one has a design built around indexes that are cheaper to hedge than the S&P 500, then that translates into the assumption of, of lower projected returns. So there's a direct linkage between how much it costs to hedge the S&P versus how much it costs to hedge the index you're using. 
and then you calibrate kind of the the returns that can be projected from there. One of the impacts of this is, as you might imagine, a lot more emphasis on the S&P 500, less emphasis on low volatility types of index accounts. I think the the immediate short-term impact was that we did see some softening of sales in the industry as an immediate outgrowth of, of AG49B. I do think that is a temporary condition, and I think we will continue to see growth in the IUL space going forward. There have been a few companies that have actually left the IUL business, and I'm not necessarily saying that it's a, it's a related specifically to AG49, but there have been a few companies that, that have exited the market, perhaps at least in somewhat response to that. Over time, though, I think the industry will continue to develop very creative designs that operate within the new AG49B. And the other thing that I would say in the short-term response is that roughly 50% of the companies, based on a survey that I've done, have moved to uh, new money portfolios instead of commingling old money and new money with their IUL products. So they're supporting the indexing parameters, the caps and participation rates with assets that are more new money. And since rates have generally risen compared to five years ago, this allows for higher option budgets and more attractive illustrations. So not every company has done that, but there has certainly been a bit of a movement to new money portfolios. Very interesting. And I couldn't agree that more that I think that when you see times of change, carriers and the industry in general will get more and more creative. From John Hancock's perspective, or from a carrier perspective, JJ, I'll turn it over to you. I'm really curious to hear what some of your thoughts are and some of the things that you've seen from a carrier perspective. How has AG49B come into play? Thanks, Carly. And it's great to be on the show. I'm a longtime fan of the Hancock Talks podcast. So great to be here and great to be with you, Tim, as well. I think one thing that we've seen, you know, everything that Tim said, you know, we've seen as well. One of the upshots that we've seen is companies are now more bunched up on the illustrated performance than I think they were before HE49. And as a result of that, we're getting a lot more questions sort of about the fundamentals of our index UL policies. And I think that's actually a good thing. I think it's a good thing when producers are asking sort of the fundamental questions that you're getting. So they're asking things like, what is going on with your portfolio yield? Are you new money? Are you, are you a portfolio yield? What's the benefits of that? They're asking about the specifics of the volatility controlled indices, not just what is it showing on an illustration, but how is it made up? What are the assets? What is the expectation that I should have as a producer so that I can explain it to a client? So those are the sorts of questions that we think are really good because it means that producers and their customers now are really looking at the whole picture of the index UL you know, opportunity that they have as opposed to just numbers on a page. And just as Tim said, I'm a huge fan of Index UL as well. I've seen it and we've had one going on 13 years now. We've been offering it. We've seen real life results that have really benefited consumers. So we want to make sure that we're able to continue to offer that sort of strong real world performance. Great. Very well said, JJ. And I think you said it best where it's going deeper than the illustration in some of these cases. And I know that's something that you and your product intelligence team do every day and do such a great job of. So let's take it, uh, one question deeper, I think. So as we look ahead, what do you expect will happen next? Tim, I'd love to hear your perspective first, and then JJ, if you want to jump in. Well, I think in the real short term, we'll continue to see companies trying to develop design solutions that put their best foot forward. You know, we are in competitive markets, so companies try to develop designs that 
will make them stand out. So I, I think that companies continue to work on design solutions to operate within AG49B. Uh, I think the movement to new money portfolios will continue. As I said earlier, about half the companies I think have, have already moved in that direction. I think we'll see more do that in the future, especially if interest rates stay the same or, or rise even further. From a regulatory perspective, I think, quite frankly, the regulators are waiting to see how the industry might react to 49B. I also think, though, that longer term, the regulators, and I would say many in the industry, believe that we need a broader, more complete revision to the NAIC illustration model regulation. That's even been expressed by the regulators. That, in my mind, is probably a few years away from even starting. But once it does begin, I see that as a, as a very involved and a very long-term, maybe even agonizing experience because the illustration regs were originally produced in a different environment. We have different constituencies in the industry who believe that illustrations should say certain things versus other things and that may differ across products. So if the model illustration reg is opened up in the future, I think we should be prepared for a very long haul uh, before it would be uh, enacted. Yeah, that, that'll, be a, uh, that'll be a big one. I know in uh, 15 to almost 20 years now, I've been working with illustrations. Opening up the reg has been a conversation you know, at times throughout that. Right now, though, we're staying with these actuarial guidelines, and this has really been our third, I guess, um, go at it. You know, we had AG49, AG49A, now we have the revisions. And I think one thing I've been encouraged about is seeing the carrier responses, and I think especially among the carriers that are really focused in the indexed UL space, I think really getting more and more focused on what is really beneficial to consumers and keeping that at the forefront. And I think by doing that, we're able to, we're going to be able to deliver, I think, more meaningful results for consumers. I think it's really, really important for companies to be able to illustrate the potential benefits of Index UL. And that really has been preserved through each of these revisions. And I would think that as we continue to, to work through these revisions, being able to show that fundamental opportunity of Index UL is going to be really important. We also want to be able to show a range of outcomes and the sort of potential downsides as well. But we can't lose sight of the fact that there is real, real opportunity in these products. Right. Couldn't agree more. The more that we have transparency and the more clarity that we can help to provide, I think the better outcomes for our customers as well, JJ. So Tim, now for the magic wand question, as I like to call it, what would you like to see regarding changes to IUL regulations? Or is there anything that you'd like to see around how life insurance policies are illustrated in general? Yes, I would like to see more consistency in the standards related to illustrations generally, more of a cohesive philosophy around, you know, how complex products are, are illustrated. You know, one example of that might be comparing the way in which indexed annuities are illustrated versus index life. They have completely separate approaches to handling the indexing portion of that illustration. And I understand annuities and life insurance are different, but but the theory around how indexing should be depicted, I think, should dovetail between those products. They should be more consistent. And with respect to IUL in particular, one of the things that I think 
could be improved upon is depicting the sequence of return risk. Many of the IUL illustrations out there are, are simply based on some flat rate of index growth. And with respect to an IUL product, especially with all the other moving parts like cost of insurance charges, expense loads, the sequence of returns really does matter in terms of where a policyholder may end up 20 years from now with respect to their values. So I would like to see something in, you know, that's reasonable infused into the IUL illustrations that can capture that sequence of returns. Very interesting. That would be great to, to see come to fruition. So for the next question, I'd like to hear from you both on what you might suggest could be done to better understand IUL products outside of illustrated performance. Tim, I'll kick it over to you first. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to piggyback off of what JJ said earlier. I, I think one of the things that I think is a, is a real benefit from some of the iterations of AG49 has been the dialogue around really understanding other components besides just the projected index performance that really drive how these products are performing. So I, I would like to see a more, a more standard and a more defined approach to capturing some of these other elements like the cost of insurance charges, expense loads, bonuses, loan features, all these other things that are key ingredients. But rather than just allowing those to be immersed into the illustration, have those be, have certain standards around how those elements are depicted uh, so that the customers can compare products more efficiently with respect to these other elements. Yeah, I think that's a great point being able to you know standardize things and really that was the first thing ag49 originally really helped doing it it standardized what we call look back rates and being able to standardize other elements is just going to make it easier for producers and clients to compare options i would also say that you know one one point and, and tim had mentioned it i mentioned it briefly as well but I, maybe just to reiterate it one more time is you know whenever i get asked at cocktail parties which admittedly is not very often about index ql it doesn't really come up that often. But sometimes people do ask me, you know, okay, I'm considering this policy, what should I do? I always encourage them to look at a range of outcomes because oftentimes, you know, the way that these products are developed is you have this illustration, but it's really just one possible scenario. And the one thing we know for sure is that reality is going to be different, right? Because you're not going to get the you know, 5.29, 6.16, whatever that number is on an illustration, you're not going to get that exactly the same every year. In reality, you're going to have ups and downs, and you want to be able to stress test the different options that are available to you. So that's the, that's the other thing. So the more from an illustration perspective as an industry, we can help people see those range of outcomes. I think the better we will do for our consumers. JJ, remind me to not find you at a cocktail party. <laughs> but, no, joking aside, I think really well said. And the more that we can do illustratively, the better. So this leads me to our final question today. And this is one of the burning questions I think we've been seeing in the industry is, what does this mean for the future of IUL? Do we still think that IUL can provide real world value despite the changes to illustrated performance? Tim, I'll kick it over to you first. Yes. I mean, you know, one of the things that I hear many of my clients talk about, which I couldn't agree with more, is that despite all of the noise, let's call it noise, even though it's important noise, <laughs> around the illustration standards, fundamentally, these products are still very well-adapted products to meet the needs of our consumers. 
fundamentally nothing has changed in terms of value added from an IUL standpoint. In fact, I would say with what we've seen with respect to interest rates and you know option volatility, these products can be stronger than ever in terms of providing value. And as producers get more creative and actuaries and marketing people get more creative and understanding how these products can be used in even bigger ways, I don't see any diminishing of the value of these products. In fact, I would say even a greater relative importance of these products. I do think we may see a little bit of, you know, a soft spot because of some of the transitioning that we're talking about, but long-term, I don't see any, uh, any reason these products cannot continue to be a real growth engine for the business. Great. JJ, what are your final thoughts? I agree there too. The you know, permanent life insurance is such an incredibly valuable asset. And if you think about each of the four types of permanent life insurance, whole life, universal life, variable UL, indexed UL, each of those can do something that the other product types can't do. And I think what indexed UL can do, not for every scenario, not for every single customer, but it really fills a need, I think, in the market. So that, to me, is the most important thing for anybody to take out of all the questions about illustrations, is that there is real fundamental customer value here. And illustrations are just a way for us to help better understand the inner workings of the product. I think that's going to, we're still fundamentally going to be in that same spot, regardless of which letter of the alphabet we're at. Absolutely. And I think you said it best that illustrations really are just that interworking of the product. But when we're working with our, our customers, we find that many different types of products are needed for a variety of needs. So with that, I can't thank you both enough. Tim and JJ, you both have incredible expertise on this topic and really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Carly. And thank you, Tim. This is great. And we appreciate you joining us for this episode of Hancock Talks. For more resources on today's topic and access to more information about how to grow your insurance business, visit jhsaleshub.com. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the show to get new episodes as they become available. Thanks for listening. The source of the stat of 50% of the companies have moved to new money portfolios is from Pfeiffer Advisory LLC semi-annual IUL production survey, May 2023. This information is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a recommendation of any particular product or is providing advice. Clients should consult with their own independent professionals regarding his or her own individual circumstances. The opinions and views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of John Hancock. These opinions are subject to change and there is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Any discussion of features, values, or benefits are not guaranteed and may be subject to change. Policy issuance is not guaranteed as any life insurance purchase is subject to completion of an application, including health questions and underwriting approval. John Hancock may obtain additional information, including medical records, to evaluate the application for insurance and, after the policy is issued, to identify any misrepresentation in the application. Life insurance products are issued by John Hancock Life Insurance Company USA, Boston, Mass. 02116, not licensed in New York, and John Hancock Life Insurance Company of New York, Valhalla, New York, 10595. This recorded material may have been recorded to support the promotion or marketing of the topics addressed in this recorded material. Individuals interested in the topics discussed should consult with independent professionals to examine legal, tax, accounting, or financial aspects of these topics. MLINY 0717233348-1.